Highway 17 is a, is a very windy road between San Jose and Santa Cruz. And what I, what I discovered over the period of the years that we traveled that road, and literally, we have traveled that road hundreds of times. It's not been a few times. It's been hundreds of times. Here's what I, it's a very windy road. That's the first part. And in the wintertime when it rains, and it rains by the buckets in, in that particular region, it gets very slick. It's very, it can be very dangerous. I, I cannot even remember how many times we heard very serious sirens going off in the middle of the night because someone had been injured on that road, some kind of a traffic accident. The reason, it's windy, it's on the hill, it's slick, but literally there were no, there were no guardrails or barriers in between the northbound and southbound traffic. There was nothing. It was just a white line. I'm going to tell you something. White lines don't stop crazy drivers. I'm just telling you. In fact, one night we were driving home from from Bethany, we'd been to a, at a homecoming event. We were on our way back to Burlingame, where we lived, and our kids were in the back seat, sound asleep. And we're driving, we're driving back. It's probably eleven o'clock or so. On our side of the road, we're going, we're going north. On our side of the road, going south, is somebody going south on the northbound side. Okay, so here's what happened: they didn't pay much attention to the white line. There was a boundary there, but that boundary didn't do them a whole lot of good, or they just ignored it, just ignored it. And over the course of years, what we, what we saw was 17 went from having white lines to guardrails, metal guardrails, to now concrete barriers. So you have all of these preventive measures to keep people from crossing lines. They're just barriers. They're boundaries. They're boundaries. And the series that we're in is curious. You asked some curious questions at Easter, and we're answering them. And one of those questions was about how do I create, here's the original question, or rather what came back to us, how do I create moral boundaries, moral boundaries, or guardrails? How do I, what do I do in my life to, to bring some sense of, of guidance or protection to my life when it speaks of, when it, when it comes to morality or appropriate godly boundaries? Well, like, let me just define a guardrail for you. A guardrail is a system designed to keep you from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. One more time. A guardrail is a system designed to keep you from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. So if you use the analogy of a highway, that the guardrail that's in the center of this prevents you from moving into dangerous or off-limit areas. Now, the reality is, is for, for our lives of faith... We need some guardrails in place. We need some barriers. We need some limit lines. And we're going to talk about that for a few moments this morning. And so really, the title of the message is Drawing the Lines. Is Drawing the Lines. Creating Godly Boundaries. And so the first just thought I want you to keep and write this down is that we need appropriate godly boundaries for life and faith. Now, that's just as simple as it gets. We need appropriate godly boundaries for life and faith. We're going to talk about that for a while. When they talk about moral boundaries, because that was the original question, or rather the original where we, where we started, when you talk of morals, I think sometimes we get kind of lost in this idea of rules, of rule keeping. And let me just give you a little insight about my life. I grew up in a very, um, well, I'll just say it, the easiest, and I've said this before, and this is it's just the reality. I grew up in pretty much of a legalistic way of, a, of life. 
there was very clear lines of right and wrong. I mean, there was no question. I, I would say it this way. You know, please don't take my ice cream away from me because there are so very few things that I can do as a Christian. Okay, that's, that was kind of, now that sounds a little silly, but that's kind of the way I felt. That there was more, there was more no than there was yes. And because there was more no than there was yes, not only was there more no, but nobody ever told me why. It never, it never got there. I, I just, it was always no. Can I do that? No. Why? Because it's against our religion. What? A 10-year-old, that didn't work. I mean, they could, because you, you just can't make, you can't make the jump. You can't figure it out. Now, as I got older, it, the why became more apparent. I, I got that. But when you talk about morals, you talk about kind of rule keeping. But here's what morals are. Morals are rules of right conduct or the distinction between right and wrong. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing bad about that. One more time. It's the rules of right conduct, a distinction between right and wrong. Okay, I think we can all, all right, we get that. Now you add to that boundaries. Okay, so moral boundaries. Boundaries are a dividing line or something that indicates a limit. So now you put moral boundaries together and you have right and wrong. You have right and wrong, a distinction between right and wrong and something that indicates limits. So when I cross the line, what's that line look like? And if I cross the line, what's on the other side of that? So we're going to talk about that for a while. And just so you know, what has happened in our culture is that we have blurred those lines. Or we've erased those lines. We, we, we just don't really know what right and wrong is. And so let me give you just a few statistics. I'm a, I like statistics, as you probably have figured out by now. But in 2016, the Barna Group, they do a lot of research with churches and kind of culture, generally speaking, in the U.S., this is a 2016 study. Here's what some of the things they discovered. A majority of American adults, 57%, knowing what is right or wrong, ready, is a matter of personal experience. Okay. So the only way you really discern right and wrong is you have to experience it. Okay. Three quarters of millennials, 74%, here's what they would strongly agree with or somewhat agree with this statement. Whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. So what's right for you, and one more time, if it, what's right for your life or works best for you, that's the only truth. The only truth. Well, about two-thirds of all American adults agree that either, either strongly agree or somewhat agree that every culture must determine what is acceptable morality for its people. Now, now, if you think about that for a moment, what we're talking, we're going to talk about some things that really, I think, are, they're unchangeable. And because they're unchangeable, they cross cultural barriers. They cross cultural lines. So that's a curious statement. Here may be the most startling of all. 59% of practicing Christians... of practicing Christians believe moral truth is absolute. You go, sweet. However, if only 59% of practicing Christians believe that moral truth is absolute, 41% of practicing Christians believe that moral truth is relative. 
that it's a moving line. It can change with culture. It can change with opinion. It can change with the weather. It can change with how I feel. That's troubling. That's troubling. Now, you go a little deeper into the statistics, and I'm not going to take all the time to read them, but you begin to discover that there are six guiding principles that in the survey they discovered that kind of give the framework of, of, of what culture feels or believes, embraces. One of them is the best way to find yourself is looking within yourself. Another, you shouldn't criticize someone else's life direction. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. The highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. Let me just stop. Your beliefs, my beliefs affect society. Okay. And then lastly, they just said any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. One last phrase, the highest good, according to our society, is finding yourself in the living by what's right for you. What's right for you. Millions of Christians have grafted a new age philosophy onto their spiritual persons, and many Christians are using the way of Jesus to pursue the way of self. A majority of church-going Christians have embraced a corrupt, me-centered theology. That's what's happening so you see, you look at boundaries, you look at limit lines, you look at guardrails of our lives and faith, and you go, we don't know what they are. We don't even know where they are. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm extraordinarily concerned when I study this. But on the other hand, I'm really encouraged. You go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How can you be encouraged by this? Here's the reason. Because you asked the question. How do we create moral boundaries? So what it tells me is that there's something deep within us as a people. We want to know what the limit lines are. There is an answer to that question, and it is found in what God's word has declared. So we're going to talk about that for a little while this morning. So we're going to go to a passage of scripture from Titus chapter 2. Titus, Paul wrote a letter to Titus. Titus was a young pastor, and he was, he was dealing with some, in fact, uh, Paul even called the people in Crete, ready for this, lazy gluttons and evil brutes. And then Paul adds this wonderful phrase to it, and that is what they are. Okay, so he was, de- he was dealing with some rough, Titus was dealing with some rough characters. Okay, these were just rough characters. So now in, Ti- in the second chapter of Titus, this is what we read, verse number 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Father, take your word, speak to our life, we pray. Help us, help us in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna give you four things on the idea of, of, of creating appropriate godly boundaries. The first is this. Appropriate godly boundaries are built upon an unchangeable foundation. An unchangeable foundation. When I reflect on all of the travels over 17 from Santa Cruz to San Jose, San Jose to Santa Cruz, I mentioned it earlier, 
there's a lot of change that went on. From the first time, I don't remember the first time I drove her. I think I was like 10 years old with my parents, and then another time when I was in high school, and then, then as a college student, we were over there continuously. So it's those times that I really reflect on. I don't know when it actually started, but I remember it changing from just white lines to metal guardrails to concrete barriers. There was always something new. There was something changing. And I think our culture is pretty much that way. That's why it's hard for us to try and get some sense of what should be the boundaries of our lives. But understand something. Paul makes it very clear. There are some unchangeable things. And that is what we have to base our appropriate godly boundaries upon. Are, are those things which are unchangeable. That becomes our foundation. One of the things I was toying with as, as I was prepping for the message this week was using the words objective and subjective. If something is objective, what does that mean? It's just very one, two, three. You can see it. You know it. Subjective is just kind of caution to the wind. There has to be something that's unchangeable that we build our lives upon. There has to be something that's unchangeable that we build those boundaries upon. What's so fascinating to me when you study this passage, what does Paul talk about? He starts off by talking about the grace of God. To me, there's just, can I just say something? There's nothing greater than the, the grace of God. We are all benefactors of the grace of God. When we didn't deserve God's love and favor, he extended it to us anyway. That's pretty cool. And that grace, that grace is a, is a foundation to our lives. Paul not only talks about grace, he talks about that we are saved through this incredible individual, Jesus, who has appeared to us. Salvation has come. Grace is there. These are un changeable. These are not something that will, will move with culture. They will not move with time. There's not a blur here. Grace, salvation has appeared. And I look at this and I move a little far, I move a little bit farther in some of the writing of Paul. And in 2 Timothy, he would say this, for God saved us and called us, this is important, called us to live what? A holy life. It, he did this not because we deserved it. There's that grace element. But because was his, this was his plan, that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. This is something that's unchangeable. This is something we can build our lives upon. And so there are some boundaries that are unchangeable here. We build, we build our boundaries on first the nature of God. The nature of God. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 is very clear, very simple. I, the Lord, do not change. End of story, period, exclamation point. I, the Lord, do not change. So we can look to the nature of God as something we can build on. The second is the Son of God. The Son of God. Again, this is an unchangeable. The Apostle John would write this in John chapter 1. The Word, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Look at this, full of what? Grace and truth. Once again, hearkening back to what Paul has said to Titus, that this grace has appeared, something amazing. It's through Christ we put our trust in Christ. It is so important when we're talking about boundaries 
When you talk about Jesus being filled with grace and truth, you see, grace without truth corrupts. Hear this. Grace without truth corrupts. And truth without grace condemns. This is not something that is one or the other. No, and Jesus did not come to strike a balance between grace and truth. He came to bring the full measure of both. He brings the full measure of grace. He brings the full measure of truth. And that is something we can rest our hopes. We can established as a foundation of our lives. So we, in the nature of God, also into the Son of God. And remember Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The third is that that unchangeable is the Word of God. The Word of God does not change. The nature of God doesn't change. The Son of God, these are unchangeable. The Word of God does not change. First Peter chapter 1, the grass withers and the flower fades But the word of the Lord remains forever. This is not a blurred line. This is not a moving target. This does not change with every whim of man or cultural shift. It remains the same. That's what we build our boundaries on, are those things that are unchangeable. Speaking of God's word, here's what I fear has happened so much within our culture, is that we look at our own lives and we go, wait a minute. I like doing this. So, I'm going to take God's word, because I've read it, and I'm a practicing Christian, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my my, uh, God's word, and I'm going to filter it through my lifestyle. And then whatever comes out on the other side, it's all good. Absolutely wrong. It's the opposite. But our culture is saying, let's do that rather than what we should. And here's the phrase. It is essential not to view the word of God through the lens of our morality, but rather to view our morality through the lens of the word of God. In other words, we take behaviors, actions, thoughts, and life, and we pour it through the word of God. And if it does not come out, that's exactly where it stays because God's word trumps anything of our own morality or ideas. God's word is unchangeable. It does not and will not change. But its effectiveness is directly related to our willingness to obey. Okay, I need to try that again. Kind of got really quiet all of a sudden. Just one more time. Let's just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warm you up here. You ready? You're going to have an opportunity to say yes, sneeze, cough, grunt, I don't know, whatever you want, or say amen. One more time. God's word does not and will not change, but its effectiveness in our lives is directly related to our willingness to obey it. It's just the reality. Jesus did it, and I want to encourage you. Here's kind of a homework assignment for you. It'll take you, I want you to take a few days with it. Don't don't just, you can do it really quick, but take a few days with it and read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talks about lifestyle and attitude. He talks about decisions. He talks about prayer and generosity. He talks about so many good things. And then he says this in Matthew 7, verse 24. Whoever hears these words of mine, he's, re- he's directly relating to what he has just said. Whoever hears these words of mine and obeys them. What? Yeah, there it is. 
and obeys them. Is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. It rained hard, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it was built on rock. Something unchangeable. Foundation that's strong. That's going to weather the storms. That's going to... That's going to help us against the cultural shift. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say something. You ready? I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm older than I was a year ago. That's enough. That's all you need to know. Here's the, here's the deal. In my short lifetime, I have seen culture shift. Dramatically. Some of the things that you and I are now witnessing on TV, internet, wherever you may find, I will say 20 years ago, not on your life. Why? Because culture is shifting, but there is one thing that will not shift. We do not base our lives or our boundaries upon that which is ever changing and shifting. We find that which is unchangeable, which is the nature of God. I, the Lord, I do not change. The Son of God filled with grace and truth and the Word of God will remain forever. That's what we build our lives on. That's where we craft our boundaries and our limit lines. It's nowhere else. It's nowhere else. Because it'll just be like that guy who came at us on the wrong side of the road. It was peril for us and it was peril for him. It will be peril for you and it will be peril for your children and your grandchildren. It's time to set some limit lines and some boundaries and say, I'm not going to compromise these no matter what happens on either side of the road. Second thing is appropriate godly boundaries, they prompt good decision making. When you have good boundaries in place, it's just a lot easier to make a decision. Bottom line, when you don't have, look, when I'm driving, now I've been on some crazy roads. And I talked about this some months ago when we were driving, I remember Highway 360 in Maui, it's on the, it's on the north side of the island. It's the dumbest road in the world. It's one lane and it is a cliff on one side and there is no guardrails. It's a mess and it is terrifying. It was far more terrifying for my wife because she, she was on the ocean side and I was on the hillside. So it's all good. Been on some crazy roads. But even if it's a four-lane road and there are no lines, it's just go where you want. Let me tell you something. Go drive in India for a while. That is terrifying. Thank goodness I didn't have to drive. I just held on and said, oh, God, please get me there. I'm just saying, when you don't have it, it's just wide open. It becomes subjective. You can't make good decisions. You don't know where to turn. You don't know where to get off. You don't know how to merge back in. You, don't, you just don't have any, you have nothing by which you can make a good decision. A few weeks ago, we did our, in this series, about how to make good decisions. Gave you six questions. And I encourage you, revisit those six questions because it'll be helpful. If you don't have it, go online, watch the, watch the message. It's also available. You can pick up the notes there. But through all of this, when we're in the process of establishing godly boundaries and we're committed to the unchangeableness of the things that we've mentioned, it's going to help us. It's going to, you ready for this? This is really profound. It'll, we are taught how to say no. That's what happens. We're taught how to say no. And the old, you know, there's an old line that says, you know, what part of no don't you understand? And I, I, I fear sometimes we just, we don't know what to do with that. Scripture is filled with lists and stories and characters 
where ungodly actions are described and outcomes are, just, they're out there. It, they're everywhere. It, it's just filled with it. And it's for our instruction. It's for our help. But I think I'm absolutely correct in this assumption. And it's always dangerous to make an assumption. But I'm going to make one because I think I'm on pretty solid ground. I think most of us here, to know, here today know what ungodliness and worldly passions are. I just don't think it's that hard. We can figure it out. But if you can't, let me help you. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul does a great job of kind of outlining this for us, and I'm using Eugene Peterson's paraphrase because I love what he says at the beginning. Are you ready for this? It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Isn't that what those relative comments were, the statistical information? I want it my way. I want to feel good about me. I'm going to look inside myself to determine what's right and wrong. I, isn't that exactly what Paul, that's what Paul's saying? Now he goes on and listen to how he crafts all of these things that would be opposite. Because Paul said to Titus, remember what he said. It teaches us the grace of God and the appearance of Christ and the salvation that's connected teaches us to say no to ungodliness Look at this, ungodliness and worldly passions. So it teaches us to say no. Now listen to how Paul says it. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper, an impotence of love or to be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Aren't we seeing that today? Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. It is. Look at this. Look at this. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Understand something. 41% of practicing Christians do not believe there is absolute truth. God help us. God help us. So we're taught to say no. But we're also taught to say yes by that same grace, by that same salvation. Paul says it very clearly. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and world passions. But then he says, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So it's not just that Paul said, okay, here's the deal. We get all wrapped up in the don'ts and the don'ts and the don'ts. And that's how I grew up my life. There was so many things I could not do. I never saw the flip side of that, the things that I could do. Living an upright, a godly, and self-controlled life does, want, does something for us. It brings life to its fullness in us. We're taught to say yes. So in that same passage of Scripture where Paul says, here, once again, he says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time, then he describes it. Now listen to how I just love the way Peterson paraphrases it. Because it begins, but what happens when we live God's way? There it is. There's life. And then he goes on to describe what we have commonly termed as the fruit of the Spirit. 
Now you can read this on your own. It's powerful and it's unique the way he characterizes this through this paraphrase. But there's one fruit of the Spirit that is so critical as to our topic, self-control. You know, we know the things that we should not be a part of. Self-control says, no, that's a boundary line. That's a limit line. That's a guardrail. Self-control. Upright and godly lives. That's what Paul's talking about. As Christ followers, we know to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We know to say yes to self-control, upright and godly lives. We know that in our... If this morning you just have a nominal, just a nominal faith, you know, you know what self-control, upright, and godliness is. You know it. You know it in your heart of hearts. You know it. It's there. God has implanted it by his spirit in your life. You know it. You see... The question is, will we establish standards of righteousness that please God? Will we? I'm going to say it again. Will we establish standards of righteousness that please God? I'm not talking about rules. I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about standards of righteousness. You see, God is the one who set the bar. I haven't set the bar. The church, unfortunately, probably has been judged as setting the bar. But it's not the bar that has been set. God is the one who says, this is righteousness. And so that you know it's found in Christ. It's not found in the law. It's found in Christ. The law was rules. Christ is life. It's found in Him. You see, to please God are based on His unchanging nature and word. The boundaries, the limits. Now hear this. The boundaries or the limits or how far is too far because I fear. And I used to do this a lot when, when I was in student ministries. And I, haven't, I don't do it a lot anymore. And no, we're not going to throw water balloons at each other. That's not what I'm talking about. But often it would be a conversation like, how, how close can we get to sin? I just want to get as close as I possibly can without really going over the edge. And right now, I'm standing on the edge of this step, and I'm having to do everything I can to balance so that I don't lose my balance. It's kind of how we treat sin. How close can we go? Rather, no. When I'm driving Highway 17, you know where I drive it? I don't drive it next to the, I don't drive it next to the barrier. I drive it in the other lane. Why? Because I want to be as far away from catastrophe as possible. I can only do something about the way I drive. I can't control someone else, but I can do something about me. So I've got to create some boundaries and some limits that honor God in all things. And so I just, this idea of too, how far is too far? That's a question that's asked so often. How far is too far? What can I do? How far can I push the limit? It's the wrong question. The too far line. So here's what I want to encourage you. The too far line. Create something. The limits are of how far is too far in any endeavor will never be in question if the too far line becomes too high to jump over when truth is elevated in our lives. 
when we elevate the unchanging nature of God, his son, and his word, and we say, no, that's up there, and I'm going to do everything I can to achieve a standard of righteousness that pleases God, not so that I am in the eyes of anyone successful. No, I want to be successful in the eyes of God. The line is too hard. We cannot jump over it. And that's exactly where it needs to be because we've elevated truth to its proper place. So Andy Stanley says this, and I love, I love this phrase. He says, we, and you'll agree, we all would do anything, even extreme things, to undo bad choices we've made morally. So why not be extreme now in our personal standards and boundaries so we don't have to face those painful consequences? It's time for us to take a step up and put some extreme measures in place. Why? To protect your own spiritual life of faith, to protect your children, to spiritual life and faith, your grandchildren, to be an influence in a world that so desperately needs someone to take a stand for Jesus Christ. Unashamedly. Unashamedly. Number three, appropriate godly boundaries require attentiveness and maintenance. Attentiveness and maintenance. And you say, what is that all about? When you read the passage from Titus, Paul gives this, he gives this great, and then he says, while we wait for the blessed hope of, our, of the glorious appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior, when Jesus comes again, while we wait, while we wait, while we wait, you know something? Inattentiveness to your boundaries and to your limit lines, it's not a good thing. You say, well, I came to faith when I was 16 years old, and from that point on, I've just, I'm good. Never giving thought or increased continued maintenance, as it were. We just went through a flood at our house. And no, it wasn't because of a river. We live on high ground, for goodness sakes. There's no water anywhere around us, except the water that sprays out of my irrigation. That's it. But we had 19 inches of rain this year, as you know. Well, because of some of the previous owners not being attentive to that which was outside, all the water that came off our roof went in our house. And it ruined, I mean, we, we had a lot of work that we had to do. All that to say, the lack of attentiveness, I, and I'm not trying to be, you know, mean towards the previous owners whatsoever. But here's what I know about building concrete. You don't drain the concrete towards the house. That's not how it slopes. It slopes away, right? Okay. I'm brilliant. That's a brilliant thing. Ours slope towards the house. So water comes in. What happens? It goes in the house. And it took us over six months to get it resolved. Now, here's, here's my point. It's critical to understand. We need not be careless. Coming to faith is a reality, and it's a life change. And I would suggest that every one of us, as we have made Christ, Savior, and Lord, we established a bar saying, God, thank you for transforming my life. I want to live every day of my life to please you. But then what has happened over time, we have not given careful attention to what's there, and we have slowly, slowly, slowly stepped away. In fact, a Peruvian proverb would say this, little by little, one walks far. That's absolutely true. You don't realize how far you've fallen when you read this in the book of Revelation. You, you can so quickly move away and you don't even realize it. And we need to give attention, attention to our lives. In chapter 2, verse 14, one of these great verses in our text is Jesus Christ who gave himself 
for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What has happened? You and I have been transformed by the power of God. He has purified our hearts. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. He, with his own precious blood, it is something that we need to give attention to. We need to be careful because God has done so much in Christ on our behalf. It is not something that we just cast aside and say, at one point in my life I gave myself to Christ and that is valid and good, but understand we need to maintain that which began began so many years ago and build upon principle and precept after principle and precept so that we are growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that our limit lines, our boundaries, our barriers remain intact to protect us and to protect others. To be the influence that God desires that we would be. You know, as Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us, it's called holiness. Can I just tell you, holiness isn't out of style. It's not out of style. You see, the reality is, is that we are set apart. There's a word that we would use, a theological word, sanctification. It just means being set apart. Different from... 1 Peter chapter 1, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Later on, Peter would say in chapter 2, for you're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation. Look at this, God's very own possession. You belong to God. And as a result, you can show others the wonderful goodness of God. C.S. Lewis, great theologian and writer of the 20th century, says the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones or signposts. You see, it's step by step, little by little. When there is not attention given, you have tragedy and difficulty. You have things you've got to clean up. Why not establish some extreme measures now so that we don't have those consequences to deal with later? 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not being slow in doing what he promised. It's his return. The way some understand slowness, everything will be destroyed in this way. So what kind of people ought you to be? Your lives should be holy and devoted to God. Finally, his appropriate godly boundaries are incomplete without accountability. Accountability. Accountability is a... I think for some of us, it's a hard word, but it shouldn't be. It's really a a word of liberation. It's freeing. In fact, when Paul says to Titus, he says these words. He says, encourage and rebuke. You notice it's not just accountability on the side of rebuke. I'm always going to tell you what you're doing wrong. No, it's encouragement. You're doing good. You're saying no to the right things. You're saying no when you should be saying, and you're saying yes to the right things. And say, way to go. boy. That's accountability. As it is saying, you know something? You, can, you know, Not so sure. In fact, I'm absolutely sure. You're messing up. I need somebody once in a while to tell me I'm messing up. And here's why. You ready for this? As long as we are the guardians of our own boundaries... We can find ways around them. There it is. If we're the sole arbiter 
of where that limit line is without anybody checking our mail, we can just change it whenever we want to. I'm just going to keep changing the rules. You see, we all need someone to check our mail. Remember what one of the statistics said. It said, whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. Sorry. No. God's word declares truth. Makes it plain. Illustrates it in nature. And if I ignore, if I choose to ignore God's word, peril. There's, there's peril. But also, if I choose to ignore those who speak into my life, equally there is peril. Because I desperately need the counsel of others in my life. And gratefully, I have that, and I desperately need it. Listen to Psalm, uh, Proverbs 27. Iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another, and I love this next verse, 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools. Set the bar yourself. You'll find a way around it. I can't tell you how many times I see, I about said dopey. I just did say dopey, didn't I? Can't tell you how many times I've seen dopey people go through red lights. I'm sorry, I've done it too accidentally. I think there's an epidemic in our city that people just do it intentionally. Yes, and I will be the guy sitting there saying, there goes a dopey person. Somebody's going to get killed. Why? Because they say the boundaries don't apply to me. I have changed the boundaries to make me feel better. Can't do it. It's peril. To be accountable to someone is to be willing to be responsible to another person for our behavior, and it implies a level of submission to another's opinions and viewpoints. I need that. I need that. You see, some levels of accountability are happening right here this morning. Just by the fact that you're here, and I applaud you for that. Way to, way to go. But you need to be in a life group because that takes it lower, deeper. You need to be in a relationship with some other person that you trust, that you can have one-on-ones with, and just get real. I have people that I get real with. Why? Because i got to have it. You need it. We need it. So today as we close, I want to give you an acronym, an acrostic, whichever you prefer, of the word boundaries. I don't do that very often. It, it, it just I, I felt like, what can I do to leave you with something that could help you quickly? If you can just remember the word boundaries, you may not remember all of those that are the part of this acronym, but I hope they'll help you. B is balanced, is balanced. And what am I talking about? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. You see, it's not just grace, it's not just truth. We need the perfect blending of those, and we find those in Christ. So really, it it harkens back to getting deeper with Christ. What is the O? Observant. You need to remain aware of your boundaries. Are they in disrepair? Let me just stop right now, and everybody look at me. Are your boundaries in disrepair right at this very moment? Have you, been, have you been doing things that you know do not live up to the standard of righteousness that God would be pleased? If that's the case, I am so glad you're here this morning because God is a God of grace. He has confronted you with his truth, but his grace is available to us if we would but embrace it. He loves us as we are, and he's just reaching out this morning. Come on, come back to me. 
Come back to me. You is under control. Every one of us, if we are followers of Christ, the Spirit of God, ready for this, has been deposited in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's there. The love of God has been deposited in our hearts by His Spirit. And out of that deposit comes the control of the Spirit. You can say no to things. And when you do, say thank you, Jesus, for the Spirit of God rising up within me. The end is necessity. Can I just tell you, a boundary is not optional. This isn't something you say, well, you know, I'll think about it. Just maybe. It's not optional. It's a necessity in our lives. I can guarantee you, if you've had the opportunity of driving in India, you want boundaries, baby. I'm just telling you, when a cow crosses the road and you think it's a dog, you know, it was just weird. There's no lines. Five and six people on a motorcycle. I looked at the first one that went by me. I went, what was that? It was a motorcycle on the wrong side of the road, but it got him where they wanted to go. No, it's a necessity. Decisive. In our lives of faith, we need to be decisive. Moms, dads, first, start it with you. Say no to some things. Say no to some things in your own personal life. And when you're saying no and saying yes to certain things, it gives you a platform by which you can say no and yes and help guide your children and your grandchildren to be the persons of faith that you desire that they be. But if you don't live that way, don't expect them to do something that you're not doing. Decisive. Be decisive. Take extreme measures. You say, but Gary, it just doesn't fit with the 2019 culture. Exactly. We are not to be of this. We are, to, we are not of this. We are of another world. I'm just telling you. Accountable. It's the A. Have somebody check your mail. Get in a life group. Be a part. We have some great men's groups on Wednesday nights. Be here. Get involved. Get involved in the starting point. Trying to figure out this thing called faith. There's some couples groups. There's a variety. Be involved somewhere. Get connected. Get connected. Be accountable. Remember is the R. Remember who you are in Christ. You have been bought not with silver or gold, but something far more precious of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You belong to Him. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. The eye is immovable. This is standing firm upon those things that do not change. It's God's grace. It's His nature. It's His Son. It's, his, it's, it's God's Word. You're immovable. I'm not compromising this. I'm not changing. I'm not moving off of this. The E is once again, it's extreme. Make the hard decisions. Some of us, I'm going to meddle. I've been meddling all morning, but you'll indulge me one more meddling opportunity. Some of us are in relationships right now we know are wrong. We need to change it. That's one. 
Some of us are involved in behaviors we know do not honor God. It's time to change. Oh, but it just feels right. Sorry. It might feel right, but it doesn't make it right. Because God's the one who set the bar. Not us, not culture. God's done that. Let's live up to that. Let's push it. Push to the extreme. Then finally, surrendered. You know, if the word was different, surrendered would have been first. But it's not. What, is, what do I mean by surrendered? Some of us right at this moment need to just come, have a come to Jesus moment and say, no more. No more. I'm done. So I want you to stand with me right now. Come on, stand with me. Now you're saying right now, Gary, this isn't really to me. It's really to the Lord. It's not to me, but I'm the guy that's standing here. Here's what I'm going to say, and I'm not going to make this easy because I don't think it needs to be easy. I think it needs, I think we need to get out and do some extreme. We need to do some extreme with God. Right now, if there are just things going on in your life, you know some, I need some boundaries. I need some limit lines. I've been messing up. I've not been doing some things that I, you just saying, you know something right now, I need to, I need a God moment. I need a God moment. So if that's you, I want you to get out of your place. I want you to come over here to the altar. Come on, right now. I know there's some here. I know you're here. I know you're here. And I have nobody in mind, but some of you are here. You need to get here. There are relationships that are messed up. There's attitudes that are wrong. There's sin in your life. There's behaviors you know that are absolutely contrary to the things of God. You know it beyond any doubt. And I want this to be that moment when God gets through and does something new today. Today. Let there be the change today. Take the extreme measures. It's perfectly good. Why? Because we do not live according to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's the way we're going to live our life. We're going to do that to honor him. Hallelujah.